1: Join Planet Fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month. Cancel anytime. Deal Friday, May tenth. See Home Club for details. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder: please take this moment to silence your cell phones. Also, there is no flash photography. Please. Thank you. And enjoy
0: the show, ladies and gentlemen. Andrew Barth Feldman. <laughs>
1: For joining us for another episode of the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast, where we bring you behind the scenes at Broadway Supper Club. I'm Nella Vera, Director of Marketing. Our guest today made his Broadway debut at the age of 16 in the title role in Dear Evan Hansen. He was the winner of the Best Actor Award at the 2018 National High School Musical Theater Awards, known more commonly as the Jimmy Awards.
0: I'm Andrew Barth Feldman, and you're listening to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast.
1: Andrew Barth Feldman, welcome to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast. Thank you
0: so much for having me. This is so exciting.
1: So you're one of a long line of Jimmy Award winners yes. to head directly to Broadway, including Eva Noblezada, who's in Town, Ryan McCartan, who's about to take over, uh, Hans in Frozen, and Renee Rapp, who won alongside with you last year. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. she did, yeah. And she's currently in Mean Girls. What did winning the Jimmy Award mean to you both personally and professionally?
0: I, it's still insane to me because, I i mean, I, just never in my wildest dreams was that going to happen. I, I remember that the night before I called my mom and she was like, I'm so happy you're there. I'm so proud of you. Know that nothing's probably going to happen. Like, you're probably not going to win. And that was the kind of thing she'd often say to me just to, like, make sure I didn't get my hopes up. And <laughs> But... In that moment, I was like, no, I have, a, I have a good feeling that maybe I could be a finalist, maybe. Of like, <laughs> and, and so it was all very, very insane. And I was just there to learn and grow. Whereas Renee, who I, I love so much, was there. She was like, I think I can win this, and I'm going to do it. All the more power to her, because she did it. And that kind of confidence is something I can't even fathom. But, oh, my God, she, she is one of the best people I know. Um, and I'm so proud of her that she's doing this mean girls thing. And yeah, yeah, so it's still insane. And people talk about that. Like, it's like where I came from, like it's my roots, but it's still crazy to me to fathom the whole Jimmy's thing.
1: I mean, we've all heard that story, right? And it's a bit like, it's a little Hollywood story almost like a star is born. You know, you go to this competition and then the producer of Dear Evan Hansen sees you and your career is launched. Was being an actor on your radar before the Jimmy Awards?
0: Oh yeah, it was all I ever wanted to do. I, I I was, my parents took me to my, I saw Beauty and the Beast when I was three years old and on Broadway, because we knew the person who was playing Chip. And so we did like a backstage tour before and I was terrified because the house is so scary. And so I was three, so I was like <laughs> very, very frightened. But um, then I saw it and I was like, oh, I get it. Because I'd been to Disney World a couple times before then so I'd had the experience of like escapism and I was like okay this is another way to get there this is a more accessible way to get there it was all very subconscious I was not having these explicit thoughts at three years old but (laughs) I um when I was eight somebody said there's this theater company doing a production of Annie you should go be a part of it and I was like this is a thing we can just do like we can just go to a place and do the thing that these people are doing it was insane, but so then I was Mr. Bundles in a ter- truly awful production of Annie, and then that was it. I caught the bug, and I was doing. I would do five shows at a time in different theater companies, and I, I started my own theater company. and And so, yes, absolutely, this was theater storytelling is everything I've ever wanted to do.
1: Tell us about your theater company. Yeah,
0: yeah so Znifrock Productions is my theater company. I started it when I was twelve years old as a bar mitzvah project, actually. Um, we raise money almost exclusively, now a little less exclusively, but for, for Next for Autism, which is what we raised money for when we did Star Wars last night. They help the lives of people living with autism so much, uh, be it vocationally or educationally. They do everything just to make life better, not to you know cure autism, which is what a lot of these foundations say, but saying we're gonna make lives better for people with autism and families with autism. And I have a brother, he's really my cousin, but we were essentially raised together. I have, I have a brother on the spectrum, and so it just was the obvious choice. So uh, we've been doing shows for six years, and we're doing three shows this year, including Star Wars. so it's it's crazy and I'm so it's it's my passion project.
1: You performed and uh, wrote the show called Star Wars. A musical hope. That's right. When you were in eighth grade? is Eighth that grade, yeah. Okay, and so you've done it and now you're bringing it to Feinstein 54 Below and uh, we're recording this the night after the first show.
0: Yeah, that's why uh, you can hear my voice is a little more raspy.
1: <laughs> and you're coming back to do it on March 1st. Yes. How did this project come about? Are you a big Star Wars fan?
0: Yes. Uh, I discovered Star Wars in middle school, which is later than a lot of kids my age, but um, I watched a new hope in an English class because we were learning about archetypes. And so we watched a new hope and I fell in love with the camp and the universe. I had a lot of friends in my school who were also really into it, including Adrian Dixon, who I wrote this, this crazy show with. We just had such a love for it. There is no good star Wars musical out there. They're all like weird jukebox parody musicals or like takes on it nothing that's a straight parody. And I love things like Team Star Kid, which if you don't know what that is, they're mm-hmm. this, this theater company out yeah. of Michigan that of does all these parody shows. So it was definitely very heavily inspired by them. We just kind of wrote this and we put it together and it uh, was bad, it wasn't good. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember Adrian who wasn't really able to be super involved with the rehearsal process because he was at camp, came to see the dress rehearsal. And I, I turned him after and I said, so what did you think? He said, well, it's what we wrote. It's, it's what we wrote down. So it, it, it was definitely a a bit of a mess, which is why this was so hilarious (laughs) to do it with all these incredible people was the funniest idea to us to like, let's just hand them this material that we did in eighth grade, pretty much untouched and see what they do and just give it to them. And they knocked it out of the fricking park.
1: It's kind of, it's, it's not bad like you're saying thank it's you. bad it's actually the, really clever and fun thank you and ridiculous but it's supposed to be um, yes which is you, you know we it, we
0: had to we had to cut some stuff for time yeah. when doing it at, at 50 Below, and it was so much better with we just cut this long stretch of time in the show mm-hmm. where there was no song and and i think that's sort of what was the kicker originally mm-hmm. of like okay we're really sitting through this now yeah, it was fun. Like it's just fun and silly and ridiculous and not trying to be anything serious. What we can do now is lean into the things that we know are not good and wink at the audience and mm-hmm. groan and so it was really fun and and I am proud of some of the music that Adrian and I wrote. Looking back on it now, I, I barely remember writing it, but I'm like this is
1: pretty this is pretty good. It for eighth graders, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I'm so fascinated by young people who love Star Wars because I saw it when I was a little girl. And at the time it was Mm groundbreaking. Like there had never been anything like this. So to me that young people your age and even younger like my nephews love Star Wars is so shocking to me in the world of Marvel and crazy special effects and for me it was the story, the good and evil, the father-son story. You had never seen even those very rudimentary special effects were a humongous deal when
0: I was 12 years old. But
1: now I feel like I would think that it, it wouldn't have the impact that it had, but for some reason, it's still very popular.
0: No, I think it has the impact that it has because it's so a product of its time. And with these new Star Wars movies, which I love in a different way, because the originals, 4, 5, and 6, I mean, they're so bare bones, the story. The effects are there and they're Just to fathom that this is the first time anything like this has happened, it's crazy to think about. It's so campy. Whereas Mm -hmm. now with 1, 2, 3, 7, 8, 9, we really get into the rules of the universe, and that's okay. But I think with 4, 5, and 6, there were no rules. It was a a completely lawless universe. We can just make these things up, you know, and that is, there's something so charming about that, I think. Yeah,
1: and I don't think when I was a little girl, I thought it was campy. I just saw Luke Skywalker, but now when I see... Luke is so campy and yeah. just adorable, and that's why you love him. But I think I really thought it was very serious when I was a little girl. Yeah, it's um, n- it's
0: not campy in a funny way. Yeah. It's campy in a let's just make a thing yeah. way, and like let's tell this great, very very basic but touching story. Yeah, I don't know. I I think just the universe and and the there's something so limitless about saying we can just make these things yeah. up. It's not in this galaxy it's a different galaxy yeah. it's a different time period there's no we're making this all up from yeah. scratch
1: it's funny i just rewatched all of them because we were going to go see the new one and we said let's just rewatch all of them and they re-released them but uh, george lucas i guess has added mm-hmm. in the things that he didn't exist because the technology didn't live and so we spent the whole movie going that's not supposed to be yeah. there. There's too many stormtroopers running <laughs> down that hallway because they couldn't afford that many stormtroopers. So there are only a few, and now there's like tons of stormtroopers chasing them as they go back into the falcon. So it was it was interesting yeah. but we were like no. <laughs> you we know? we so, we're have... so we feel so protective over that original I version. Know. <laughs> yeah, you have those
0: versions that are on Disney Plus now and those are the remastered versions but we actually happen to have the original VHSs in my house. So we have oh like one VHS player in our house and that's become like the Star Wars room that we watch <laughs> Star Wars in. But yeah, we make a joke about that all the added stuff in the show where when they go into the cantina, and there's all those like weird Creatures and stuff, uh, C-3PO, says, um, look at all these horribly animated creatures. Bravo, George Lucas. And it got applause <laughs> last night. So it definitely, that People that, know that resonates. Yes. Yeah,
1: That's so amazing. You just departed from Jervin Hansen, passing the polo onto Jordan Fisher. Mm-hmm. Tell us about being in the show, especially at 16 years old.
0: It was so perfect. Every second of it. Had
1: you seen the show prior? Yeah, to- it
0: it's, was an is my favorite show. I think it's a perfect, airtight, beautiful book. The music is so, like, catchy is a word for it, but that's an understatement for what it is. But it was also the hardest thing I've ever had to do, and it was just a hard year in my life, and and so matched with doing that role every night was the biggest challenge, and I, I don't think I realized how difficult it was until I wasn't doing it anymore. It's very nice now to have done it and wake up every day and know that I did it and that I don't have to do it anymore because I loved it so much every second of it. But a year is enough. A year Mm -hmm. is, I think, the maximum amount of time that a person should do that role.
1: Yeah. What was the most rewarding part of being in the show?
0: Um the catharsis that it provided. My mom passed away in August. Oh, and I'm so sorry thank to hear you. that. And, and uh, we're actually doing another show, uh, a tribute to her in May, which I'm really excited about. I just, all I wanted was to get back to the theater and, and do that show with, with Lisa Brescia, who mm-hmm. is now family to me. And doing So Big, So Small every night, doing the orchard scene, saying that everything's okay, I'm enough. I, I had to start listening to the words that were being said, and, and it provided so much healing, and it, it gave me a place to cry every night, which I really needed to do, and, and the people that I got to know, are they're my family now, and, and I hear all these stories about people who do a show and, and grow a family and then never see those people again, and I've seen those, these people almost every other day in the last two weeks since I've finished the show. So they are my family, and they will be for life. Yeah. I really believe that.
1: And even if you don't see them for a while, you can always come back to that family. Yeah, yeah.
0: And yeah. they were, I mean, they were all in the Star Wars show. So, <laughs> so I, I, I brought them all along for a while
1: What was your biggest challenge during the show?
0: Uh, everything else, I think. I, the diet was hard different from everything else, but I I kept a very strict diet.
1: What was the thing about the diet? It was
0: more of a vocal thing. Ben Platt Ah. sort of set this precedent of like no dairy Mm. and no, you know, not too much like serious red meat, nothing that's difficult to digest. So it's a precedent that I followed because I did not want to take any risks. And so I essentially toward the end of my run, ate the same thing every day. It was sushi and for lunch and a roast beef and avocado sandwich for dinner. Lots of avocado-based things. Avocado's really a really good protein and really not acidic. And that was also guided by Liz Kaplan, the legendary vocal consultant on the show. But, I mean, I, I couldn't cry at the beginning. I still can't cry on command. And so it really had to become getting in touch with what was happening every night. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard. But once I got it, I, I did cry every night. And that I am never thought... I'd be able to do, because I never could. So I, you know, it's nice to know that I can. Uh, but all of it, it was all really, really difficult just to find my Evan. But once I did, it was second major.
1: Dear Evan Hansen is a story that touches so many people, particularly young people, on a very personal, emotional level. Did you feel that response from the fans and the audiences?
0: Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the greatest gift was when people at the stage door saying, you saved my life, you changed my life. Or when parents would come and say, you nailed my son. That's, that's what theater can be. And so to be a part of telling that story was such an extraordinary gift. And I know, I knew what it, what it does because that's what it did to me. That that's, it opened up my own conversation about my mental health and my anxiety and, and, sort of began my own personal journey with that. And Evan was my my guide to that. So I, I know what it can do to people and, and for people. And so I knew that I had that responsibility from the beginning. So to, to know that I, I did the job that I had is, is really, I, I can be really at peace with, with everything, which is really nice.
1: Did you feel that being close to the age of... The character was helpful. Absolutely, in doing the role. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, a thousand percent. I it was. I I think it resonated with um, parents in a different way, to see a kid, a real kid, go through it because it's. I think it on a very base level, you're rooting for him a bit more, even if I don't do anything like like taking all of the you know acting quality whatever out of it, seeing a kid, a a teenager, a real teenager playing this poor teenager changes the story dramatically and I didn't realize how much it would until we were actually doing it. So, yes, absolutely. And then just for me to not have to dig back in my brain and say, oh, how did this feel when I was a teenager? I know how it feels when I was a teenager and I'm a teenager in the era that Evan is a teenager, which is a different era than a lot of the other guys because I was born with a phone in my hand and I know what it's like being a teenager in the social media era of that being just a blinking light in our brain of whose life is better than mine today. And that's what the show, that's that's the back, literally the backdrop of the show. So absolutely, it changed so many things for me as a performer to get to play a teenager and so many things I, I, I like to think for the audience.
1: And did they, when they cast uh, the other actors were they close to your age, the other kids?
0: So M- Mallory was there before I was, and Mallory was, was uh, 18 when she started. So that was really, really nice. And, and when The Times came back and reviewed it, they, they took special notice of our scenes together because we're both teenagers, and there's something very light mm-hmm. about watching that on stage and a lot less, you know, it's a lot more, oh, we really like this, and we wish it wasn't based on a lie as opposed to, oh, uh, this is hard to watch because it's yeah. based on a lie. So it was just a bit of a lighter thing, which is really cool. Gabby, who came in and replaced her, is twi- in her 20s, and is, is, but is one of my best friends. And our chemistry is, I, it was, they saw in rehearsal was something really special, because we have such an incredible relationship. So she was farther away from the age than Mallory was, but it, it, you wouldn't be able to know, you wouldn't tell. So yes and no is really the answer.
1: That makes sense. Yeah, I I love the show, and what's extraordinary about it, I think, that as adults, sometimes you tend to dismiss stories about teenagers. My whole generation, we see the grown-up plays like Mm -hmm. Oslo and things like that, and you know, the the stakes being so high for young people, we forget that they these are real feelings that the you know what they're going through is every bit as valid as what somebody in their 40s is experiencing and I love the show because it wasn't you know it wasn't your typical high school musical like Grease or you know something kind of fun and light Mm. it actually said no this is real life and these are real people and they're young but they experience emotion and love and betrayal and All of these are very real things. And I find that sometimes as adults, we forget that. And we tend to dismiss young people, which is, I think, why there's a mental health epidemic in a way. You know, oh, well, they're just teenagers. They'll get over it. And and I think shows like this show very much, you know, that real world and that it's valid what you are experiencing at 16.
0: Yeah, because I I think with with a lot of teenage shows, you as an adult know that they're going to be okay. Which is harder to see with adult shows because you don't know that they're going to be okay because you don't know if you're going to be okay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's why it really resonates with teenagers because they really don't know if they're going to be okay. But with this show, with Dear Evan Hansen, nobody knows that he's going to be okay. You, the stakes are really there of, is this kid okay? Is he going to be okay? Are any of these people going to be okay? You know, Connor taking his own life at the beginning of the show sets the tone for the stakes are life and death here. Yeah. And that's not something that we often see in stories about teenagers, and that's what makes the stakes so high, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it's funny because I've heard adults say this, and I think I might have felt this a little bit when I saw it. Oh, well, this show, oh, he never suffers the consequences of... His actions and that drives me bananas because a he does suffer the Mm -hmm. consequences they're internal and he's living with this for the rest of his life and has to even though it seems like he forgives himself he's probably not really there and will have to repeat that forever Mm -hmm. Um, but also how many adults get away with so many things I mean look at Wall Street you know, know it's like adults get away with so much bad behavior So then, to focus in on this one teenager who got, you know, who did not like go to juvenile detention because of something that he did, it seems so silly. It's
0: it's it is silly because I, I think right now America specifically has a distaste for liars. With Trump in office, we don't like liars. We really hate liars right now. And Evan Hansen is a liar. But as far as I'm concerned. Almost every step of the way, his intentions are good, and it's hard to see because the things he's doing are not good. But what what more do you want? You know that what you're seeing in words fail, and in the orchard, that's genuine remorse for his actions. That's the goal of something like juvenile detention or him being canceled on the internet. You know, that's it's that's that's the goal is to make this person feel remorse and repair themselves. And that's what he does. So to say that he doesn't face the consequences of his actions is, you know, I understand it, but he does.
1: And ultimately, the goal of all of punishment, supposedly in our society, is redemption. Yeah, and he does Um, redeem. You know, we want people to go through their punishment, but to come back as productive members of society. You know, I hear, sometimes I hear adults, especially friends who live in, red states say oh well why should we pay for prisoners to go to college it's like because we want them to become productive human beings what's the point of prison and yeah and even if you're locked up in prison for life you might actually not become the person that like kills a guard if you're enlightened so there's always a benefit to redemption even if the person isn't entering society again there's always a benefit So, yeah, I think the end of the show is is great and perfect. In addition to rehearsing and being in the show at night, a working actor also has other responsibilities, such as you have to do press, you go to Mm. photo shoots. How did you manage school while you were in the show?
0: (laughs) Uh, So I was tutored. They provide a tutor for me 15 hours a week. Um, It was real school. You know, it was was just me and and a tutor. But I took all AP classes. I, I always real for real school. Um, But we were all sort of of the impression that, you know, I wouldn't do homework outside of the tutoring room because I didn't have the time. And honestly, 15 hours one-on-one is enough time for me to do all the work that I need to do in the class, in the room. So it worked out very well. And by the end of it, everyone was really on the same page. Junior year was harder than senior year, But senior year, we had a lot of the same tutors, so everyone kind of knew how to handle it, how to manage it. Um, When I started Dear Evan Hansen, I was doing five shows a week as opposed to the traditional six for an Evan because I was in school. And then over the summer, I I moved to six, and they wanted me to go back to five when I was starting my senior year. And I said, I think I want to do six. I think I should do six. And they said, okay. They gave me the shot to, to do it, and it worked out. I think it worked out for the better that I had fewer days off from Evan's brain. And so it, it all really worked out very well, but it wasn't easy. <laughs> it was, it was another part-time job as, as Stacy put it, our producer, but we all made it work. It was a team effort, all of it.
1: And were other people in the production getting tutored also?
0: No, I was the only one still in school. So I think we had... Dan, one of our understudies who just finished his run as Connor, he did a two-week run as Connor, he was finishing up college at the beginning of my run, I think, on, like online. But no, I, w- I was the only one getting tutor because I was the only one young enough to be in school.
1: And yet, you finished. Are you so you finished high school early? Though. Yes,
0: I, I I had enough credits to graduate when I was done with the show, so that I didn't have to go back to like actual high school. Mm-hmm. My school is very small, so I love all those people, but it would have been weird because it's it, to be gone for a year and then come back for a couple months yeah. for the end of senior year, where you're really not doing much anyway. Felt strange.
1: Don't say that uh, in front of the teachers. <laughs> <laughs> then never mind. Um,
0: but where, yeah, where you're kind of wrapping it's up. It's true. You is, get is, senioritis you
1: know. and there's a lot of... Uh, yeah,
0: so now I, it's sort of like I'm taking a, a little gap year, which is nice because oh, I okay. can just create, you know.
1: When you took over the role there had only been three Evans before you, did you feel a lot of pressure having to take the lead role in this not just a musical, but an enormous hit musical?
0: Every single day. Every day till the very last day, I felt the the weight of Ben and Taylor and Noah and Michael and Ben Ross and every Evan before me on my shoulders. Because people like to compare. Mm-hmm. And people, if they really loved Ben or they really love Taylor, they're not going to be so open to someone who's very different. And we all are so different from yeah. one another. But people tend to stick with the first one they saw, which is just seems to be the fact of it. I was very not good for most of it at not looking at comments and stuff. I was really wanting to know what people were saying about me. I know. I know. And that's like (laughs) the number one thing you shouldn't do. I know. (laughs) So, so I, you know, amidst all the nice things, I'd see one, I miss Ben. And it's like, oh, just come, just see it. Open your mind. And I found, and this is where I started to become against the whole bootleg thing, I found that the people that were judging my performance the most were the people that hadn't seen it, were the people that had only watched a clip from a bootleg or or some video of me performing online. Those were the people that had the harshest judgments about my performance. So, here's my thing about bootlegs. If you watch bootlegs, that's fine. If you take bootlegs, that's not cool. That's illegal and distracting. If you judge a performance based on a bootleg, you're denying yourself that performance in reality and the judgment of that performance in reality. So if you really can't afford Broadway and you watch bootlegs, okay, they're accessible, they're online, I get it. But you can't judge a performance from from that out of context yeah. video. You just can't.
1: Yeah, don't get me started on bootlegs,
0: I know. obviously. I know. Mom. Listen, I'm a theater kid, so I get the like watching of bootlegs. I I understand, especially with shows that are closed yeah. or people that have left shows. I get it. I don't condone it. I get it. Taking them is bad. Judging them from bootlegs is yeah. really bad. They're both really bad.
1: It's not the way it should be experienced. And, you know, I, I hear a lot and I see a lot of comments, people saying, well, how are we supposed to see? Well, you're not. You yeah. can go to your local Community theater and see shows. It
0: just doesn't work. Things like, don't work. I would like,
1: like to drive a Lamborghini, but I can't. Yeah, like I, there's a lot of things I would like to do, but I'm not going to do illegal things to and do. And honestly,
0: them. there are so um, many cheap ways of getting tickets to shows now with rush yeah. tickets and lotteries yeah. and, you know. But it's also not easy. in
1: your local communities, there's so much there's theater.
0: I, um, yes, and and it's just like when you can't afford something, you don't steal it. You know, it's the yeah. same thing. It, it's. Yes, that's absolutely right. It's it's a weird, weird, weird thing. And I, I get both sides of, of yeah. it, but you just shouldn't take them because yeah, we no. see we see you.
1: I know. I'm a fan too, so yeah. you know, every now and then I get tempted. I'm like, nope, can't do that because yeah. I'm just I'm in the business and I know how harmful it is to the creators, to the actors, um, and I don't want to support that even with – you know, a sneak peek at a performance. I'm, I'm,
0: I guess sort of proud that there are no full bootlegs of me on like YouTube or anything. There are some for like trade, (laughs) um, but no full bootlegs of me on the internet, which is how I, how I like it.
1: Yeah. How are you feeling about not performing for a bit and returning to more of a normal lifestyle? You know, I
0: was really planning on not performing for a bit and then (laughs) I had to be on solo last night. So that was, but, uh, yeah, it's. It's nice. I really love directing and writing, and so that's what I'm completely pouring myself into over these next couple months and, and what I will be pouring myself into at, at school and in the fall. So I'm really excited and, and excited to perform again because there are a couple things up in the pipeline, but um, just excited to... It's It feels very nice to be a person again and know that I have both of these worlds of and that I can bring them together as much as I can because last night at the 9.30... Of Star Wars, I, we brought in for the finale, the original 2016 cast, all my friends from community theater and all these people my age mm-hmm. to come in and, and be in this room with freaking Gaten Matarazzo and Drew Gelling and Will Roland and all these incredible people, I want to merge these two worlds as much as I can because all of these people... The people that I've, the friends that I made over the last year, and the friends that I've had for so long, have been on this ride with me the whole time. And so, as much as I can, I I, I try to bring them together. But even when I can't, it feels so natural to be able to have both of those worlds, and I, f- I feel like I belong in both of them. So, that's really nice.
1: You do absolutely. You. <laughs> you don't have to choose. That's yeah, what's great. which is
0: nice. I would. I guess I was sort of worried about that. I never thought about it, but I guess in my head I was a little worried that. It wouldn't feel right to have both of them, but it does, and and it's, yeah. it's wonderful.
1: It's interesting. Yes, you sp- young people today are just able to do so many things, whereas we were trained to do one thing and follow one career, yeah. and that's no longer true. Like I we I interviewed for my other podcast, uh, the cast from uh, the play that goes wrong, mm. and one of the actors is a scientist and wow. so he works at Columbia from nine to six and then he comes to oh the goodness. theater for his half hour and does the show at night at Prattfold and he's literally like a bio physicist or something oh insane they did a whole thing in the New York Times about him I just thought okay you know sounds good he also wanted to be an actor so he's doing both that's awesome um, yeah it's it's I, really I might have heard something about that that's yeah, really really but cool but I just love that idea and and most of the young people or younger performers who are come to find and fifty four below are actors, they're producers, they're writers and you know, they got everything going on, sort of a finger in every pie almost. Yeah. Um, which is great because you don't of how have I've to choose. Been.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't I never want to. And you don't have to anymore. There's no really role I mean, there never really have been in this business, like you can be an actor, you can't be a director, you can be an actor, yeah. you can't be a writer. So I've always wanted to do all those things because I never knew which one I'd be good at, really. So now to be working on all of them again is wonderful. Um, And I want to do all those things. I really, I think I've I've identified my passion as storytelling. And any way I get to do that, that's fulfilling for me, is telling stories.
1: You're going to Harvard? I am, yeah. Are you, what are you most looking forward to?
0: Trying new things, being a normal college person, <laughs> having the college experience, being in in or adjacent to Boston, where my mom went to school. She went to Brandeis. That's oh. wonderful, and I love the city. Meeting new people, trying all these ideas that I have in my head. I'm I'm planning on concentrating in TDM, which is theater, dance, and media, but focusing in directing and writing and play and and dramaturgy but also some acting because i have like no experience with shakespeare and mm-hmm. uh, there's improv and like puppeteering and all, everything i want to do and that's what really sold me on harvard as being the right place for me because it has everything that i want to be doing yeah so and is
1: there also a core program that you have to do yes like all uh, the other liberal art schools yeah but
0: it's 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 a bit looser than like say like columbia because there it's more you have to fulfill a class in this category, in this category, mm-hmm. in this category, in this category, as opposed to like you have to read the Odyssey and you have right. to read, which is nice because that wasn't really for me. And the class, there's actually like a Star Wars class. Oh, So wow. I was like, okay, this is, there's, crazy. it's called, I, it's called um, The Empire Strikes Back Science Fiction and Religion or something weird mm-hmm. like that, which I'm like, yes, I'm yeah. in. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it's just the right it's the right place for Sounds me. Sounds really so exciting. I'm really excited. I'm really excited. I
1: loved college, and I'm always excited when somebody is going to college. You I know, mean, and I think we're we're being in be a true. larger university where you might try a class that maybe isn't theater-centric is also great, you know, for your yeah. experience. Sometimes when young people ask me, you know, about going to a liberal arts school versus a conservatory, and, you know, part of it is, I think, all of the I, I went to liberal arts schools, and all of the working actors who came out of our program did not were not theater majors because we didn't have a theater major at mm-hmm. the time. They do now, but it's you know Stephen DeRosa and uh, even people like Mark M- Mike Buriglia and uh, Bradley Cooper. You know all of those people were from my school, but we all majored in whatever philosophy, English, mm-hmm. and what I found was that actors you know you need to know languages and history yeah. and all of that that comes with that well-rounded education that you get at, at these great liberal arts schools where you know directors need perspective you need yes. history and psychology and you know how are you going to direct a play about the Vietnam War if you've you no clue yeah War. and so i think it's really it's great when a school has both things to offer you because you know you can be in that program, and then you might say, "Oh, there's that history class. I might want to take that as yeah. an elective." Um, so it's it's such a great environment. Yeah, too.
0: I, I yeah, I really wanted to do the conservatory thing, but my mom was a college admissions counselor, so uh-huh. she really had some <laughs> ideas about what needed to happen, and she was absolutely right. And once the Deirdre Hansen thing happened, I was like, I feel like I've been in a conservatory yeah. for this last year, and I learned from I've been in the Michael Greif School of Acting. So like. <laughs> Not that I know everything that I need sure. to know about acting, because who does? But yeah, I want to know other things, yeah. and I don't want to pigeonhole.
1: And it'll just soul. make you a better actor, writer,
0: yeah, absolutely,
1: director, to have that broader knowledge. Yeah. So you'll come back to performing after college, you think, or?
0: Yeah, we're sort of, you know, we sort of agreed that I'm going to do college and I'm going to finish it, I'm going to graduate, but it might not happen in the four years because if some incredible job comes along,
1: yeah, like if george lucas says hey oh, don't even start <laughs> Come be in my um, next star wars movie. i don't think george lucas after what i did last <laughs> night i don't
0: think i'm ever gonna hear from george lucas um but if something comes along then i'll take a semester off or yeah. a year or whatever i'd prefer if it didn't take like 30 years but i will sure. finish college and graduate i'm committed to to doing that which is more than a lot of people my age in this business can say but it was really a precedent that, that my mom said of like you can take time off you can yeah. which was great permission to have but you have to finish college and now i know that i, I have to yeah and, so and
1: you'll know when if you get an opportunity you'll know totally. if it's the right one to totally take a little break for or not andrew thanks so much for joining us today so much we for having ca- me. i can't wait to see the show uh and best of luck with the school
0: thank you thank you so very much for having me
1: Andrew Barth Feldman and Adrian Dixon's Star Wars parody musical returns for one more night on March 1st with performances at 7 and 9:30 p.m. Tickets at 54below.com.